Heavenly Father, would you speak from your word this morning? I believe you inspired it. I believe you want to say something to your people. Uh, would you speak this morning? And uh, help, help me in my weakness to uh, deliver the message that your people need to hear. It's in Jesus' name we pray this. In his strong, saving name we pray. Amen. All right, Nicholas Cage. If you know anything about Nicholas Cage, um, he, uh, it's a big, pretty big transition, right? <laughs> hey, but now you're in, all right? You're in. <clears throat> all right, Nicholas Cage, made a, uh, he's made a lot of bad movies, okay? And, um, and he had a whole string of them. Now, hold on before you, all the Nick Cage people just leave, all right? Uh, he made a lot of bad movies, and there's actually a reason why he did that. The reason why he made a lot of bad movies in a row, especially recently, was that he got himself into a lot of debt. Uh, he was in a really bad way financially, and so basically any script that came to him, he just said yes to, all right? And you can tell. Uh, I mean, if you can't tell, I'm, I'm like not a movie critic. I'm not like Jimmy Sweeney. I don't know. You know, like they, art, art movies, I'm like, a lot of them are lost on me if I'm honest, okay? Um, there's things that are like depth of nuance and things are happening. A lot, I like some pretty surface level movies, and, and Nicolas Cage, uh, he's done some of those too that I really like. One of them was uh, National Treasure. Uh, National Treasure, it's somehow, I mean, maybe you're like, that was one of the bad movies. I'm like, that's fine. Uh, but it's always on, like, when I'm at my in-law's house and we're just, like, hanging out. Like, thanks, just watch. Some, around Thanksgiving, if you're, like, in this moment of just a lot of, like, what do we do right now? The TV's on. All the football games are over. Uh, TBS, I, I think it's probably like TBS or some station like that just is going to play National Treasure. You watch, okay? And if you kind of lean into it, Give it a chance. Give it another chance, all right? Not, not the second one, just the first one. Um, I'm, I, I really like the first one. And, um, and so throughout the movie, here's the deal. Nicolas Cage, he's making all these decisions um, that make no sense to a lot of the people, especially to the authorities you know, from whom he's stealing the Declaration of Independence and other sort of important uh, documents. Uh, the decisions he's making, they, they don't make sense to a lot of, a lot of people um, unless you, you uh, it makes sense only if he knows something that you don't know. It has to be that he knows something that we don't know. There's a reason why he's doing it. He's got to know something that I don't know. So he's making these decisions, living his life, pursuing this thing um, that makes no sense to me. The way that he's operating doesn't make any sense to me. And, uh, and so the, the, the interesting thing, just as I was looking at this passage in Ephesians chapter 3, is that the, the Apostle Paul, his life was kind of like that. Like if you, if you knew, if you were a contemporary with Paul, he likely had frustrated you at some point, even if you were like one of the other apostles, right? Like he, he would say things and he would do things that would almost like, it's like, you must know something that I don't know. It's, it's the, this the sense that you get when you're interacting with him. And, and as you kind of just trace his story, either through the book of Acts or kind of pick up uh, uh, context from uh, letters that he wrote, He's doing things, and, uh, and the way that he operates is, is uh, with this sort of invincibility to him. And, uh, and I, I just think for me, like, that my day-to-day life, it do, it's not marked by invincibility. Your, your life might be. You might be like, no, man, it's me and Paul. We're just invincible. Um, but there's a sense in which just my, my emotional life, my physical life, my spiritual life, there's a sense in which it's, I, I don't feel always the invincibility that Paul seems to feel. Uh, my circumstances uh, can bring discontentment. Um, my failure can crush me. 
uh, and my, any suffering that I encounter, even in me or other people, uh, can really be discouraging. So I, I think, I wonder if you're like in that place, right, where you kind of can sense your fragility as a person. Um, and, and in this passage, what I want to try to key in on is uh, this secret uh, of invincibility that Paul seems to have. I think he's going to tell us a secret. Um, and so throughout all, of, uh, throughout all of Ephesians so far, we've, been, we've called this series uh, the Foundations of Worship. And uh, the reason why is we think the truths that are laid in this, these, these texts can help uh, lay a foundation that's firm, uh, a foundation of worship. As we build a life of worshiping God in everything that we do, it has to be laid on top of some really, really sturdy truth. Okay, and so that's what that's what Paul has been telling us, and and then again, I kind of can feel like my foundation is a little bit wobbly. There's a guy in my neighborhood named Scott that I love. Scott's like the ringleader of Ridgemar. I love him. He's awesome, and uh, he told me he had to drill 27 piers to stabilize his foundation in his house, and I'm like, I don't exactly know what that means because. I don't build houses or do anything with foundations, but that seems like a lot of peers, right? And it seems like by the end of that, your, your foundation should be really sturdy. And it's almost like Paul's doing that for us, where he's saying, uh, in Christ, you have been chosen, adopted, redeemed, which is like ransomed. You've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. You've been um, included in the household and the family of God. He's drilling down these peers all over your foundation to stabilize the worship of your life. And that's what we see, I think, is what happens in Paul's life is he actually has a firm foundation of worship in his life. And that's what, that's what we are seeing. It's not a facade of invincibility. It's actually a firmness of foundation. Okay? And so here's what I want to look at just kind of as we move through the text. And these, these aren't obvious from the text. So I, I, like, I, I want you to know that like, this is what I feel like... Uh, I feel like this is what God has for our people this week, okay? And so just, I hope you track with me about uh, how the gospel gives us the secret of content, contentment in shifting circumstances, how the gospel gives us the secret of salvation in the midst of failure, and how the gospel gives us the secret of courage in the midst of suffering. Okay, how does the gospel address these things? That's what we're going to look at, okay? And, uh, and so start in uh, chapter 3, verse 1, <clears throat> and... Um, I'm just going to get you guys tons of context all over the place, and so just, you know, again, hold on tight because we're, uh, we'll be moving through it, and I'm, I'll pull in stuff from other places in Ephesians, but he, he's starting something. He's starting a prayer in chapter 3. That's what's so fascinating. A lot of people don't even preach this text as they're preaching through Ephesians because what happens is he's starting a prayer here that he ends up finishing at the end of chapter 3, but he starts into it, and he says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. So he, he starts, and then you see that dash. Do you see a dash in your Bible? It may, it may have that. And so up here on the, on the text on the screen, I think they have that, that dash. What that is, is it's an interrupted thought, okay? And so his sentence literally gets cut off. He cuts himself off because he's going to digress into something that he thinks is worth including here. Okay, and so uh, he starts into it, and he catches himself. And I think there's something about uh, the, the language that he just used. So he's going to pray, just so you know, the prayer that he ends up praying is basically that people will just get it. They'll get just how much God loves them, 
okay? Um, just how great his love. I want you to get it. I want you to have a firm foundation of worship. But he starts into the prayer, and he says, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. And so right here, what I want you to see is that all of your circumstances are subject to Jesus' authority. Okay, that's, that's the secret of contentment and shifting circumstances is that all of your circumstances are actually subject to Jesus' authority. Do you see it in the text? It says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Rome? No. A prisoner of the Jews? No. He's a prisoner of Christ. What is he talking about? This is such a fascinating thing for him to say because what he, he actually is a prisoner while he's writing this letter, okay? So you need to know a little bit of Paul on this deal. Uh, Paul, his name used to be Saul. I forgot. I had my, my daughter's been, uh, she loves uh, Jesus' story Bible, particularly Paul's story, okay? And the reason why is because there's a horsey in Paul's story. If you have the Jesus Storybook Bible, then if you go to Paul's story, uh, like the Acts 9 account, what happens is it has a picture of Paul riding a horse, or actually after he fell off the horse. And um, man, Lucy can just crush it on recounting uh, the, uh, the road to Damascus story. She's like really good at it, and so much so that the page fell out of the Jesus Storybook Bible, and I was like, oh man, we gotta just bring that. I'm gonna hold up this very strange picture that they painted of Saul. He has like a hood on and a very long beard. Um, and, uh, and so anyway, what you gotta know about, about Paul is his name used to be Saul, and Saul grew up underneath the tutelage of like the finest Jewish scholars. He was the right pedigree. He had everything going for him that you could want to be going for you in life as a young Jewish guy. Okay? He had it going on. And um, these Christians started making a bunch of noise and they started telling everybody that Jesus was the Messiah. And so Saul, he, uh, as a young, zealous guy, he starts laying down the hammer. He starts doing what he thinks is obeying God and he starts persecuting God's church. And uh, so much so that on the road to Damascus, he's on his way to Damascus basically with like a warrant to just rough people up um, uh, in an anti-Christian way. And, uh, and so on that road, Jesus knocks him from his horse and from this very blight, bright, blinding light, he says, he says uh, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you doing this to me? Which is just really fascinating how much Jesus identifies with his people. When you're hurting his people, you're hurting him, okay? Um, but what happens to him in Acts chapter 9 is that his life gets redefined, okay? And so in that redefinition, uh, Jesus explains to him, uh, uh, he explains to another guy, Ananias, that he's going to tell Paul uh, just how much he's going to suffer for the sake of the Gentiles. And, uh, and so, Jesus, or, so Paul uh, gets his life redefined by Jesus on this Damascus road. And, uh, and it did cost him. Uh, so he starts going around, and, and uh, the joke is that like all the apostles got together, and they got a map out, and they looked at the map, and they're like, okay, guys, you know, to the ends of the earth, we'll take Jerusalem. And Paul's like, all right, I'll take the rest, because uh, that's like how it effectively played out, right? So it, he, he uh, goes about this sort of just this mission of trying to get this gospel news as far and as wide as he can. I mean, if you read through the, Acts, the book of Acts, the, the gospel doesn't really make it out of Jerusalem until, like, in Acts chapter 15, which is like halfway through the book of Acts, they are still trying to figure out how it even works for Gentiles. 
And Paul's like out there planting churches and he's like, is this all right, guys? You know, they're like, is this working? And so they go back and they have this whole Jerusalem council and they're like, yes, yes, Gentiles, they are a part of this. Gentiles is just a word. Um, it's the word that you get ethnic groups from. And so it's, it's really everybody else besides people who um, are Jews by heritage. Okay, so he goes on this mission and it does cost him. And in 2 Corinthians uh, four, he uh, he says he says it this way about how he describes what it's like to live his life. Okay, um, he says uh, he says it this way. And I just just listen. It's not on the screen. I'm sorry about that. Okay, but we have this treasure, this this knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. So we have this treasure in jars of clay, fragile fragile bodies, um, to show the surprising power. Uh, that the surprising power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, uh, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in, in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. And he goes on, he says, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And hear this, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So Paul, Paul literally was living this out where his, he was getting, uh, his circumstances were not looking good. He, he was getting uh, shipwrecked. He was getting poisoned. People were, uh, people were taking oaths to never eat again until they kill him, okay? He was getting put in jail left and right, and so it did. It did cost him. And then in Philippians 4, though, he says that he, uh, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in, every, in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. What's the secret? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It's not like uh, people put it on their like uh, eye black in football games, right? Do you do that, Ford? Yeah, definitely not for this message. Uh, and so you can, it's not a big deal. It's, it's, it, the, you being able to do all things through Christ who strengthens you is not about you scoring touchdowns. It's about you having this courage or this contentment in shifting circumstances. The gospel teaches us to have contentment in shifting circumstances. Okay, let's get back to Ephesians. So I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Okay, so he's, he's literally living um, as a prisoner, not of Rome, not of something that's gone awry, but of Christ Jesus. Jesus has said, you are going to be a prisoner for me in this place in this time because that's how I'm going to move my gospel message forward. And so, uh, and then he kind of, this is where the digression starts. He says, assuming that you heard the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. And that, that way he's saying this is like, you guys know this. You guys know how God entrusted me with this particular message to the Gentiles. You know this. Um, and then he says, how the mystery was made known to, be, to me by revelation as I have written briefly. So he's, he's kind of written briefly about what was revealed to him, which is this crazy news that through Jesus, God was going to bring Gentiles, which is everybody in the whole world and Jews, all of them into one person through Jesus. He's going to build the church. This is the secret of the church. And so 
He, know, he says, you know how this was, made, this was revealed to me. It's not something he discovered on his own. Uh, it, truth, just for the record, uh, in our membership class, we're talking about this. We're talking about how truth is not something that we discover, um, and then and because of that, we get to decide what's true and what's not. Truth is something that's revealed to us by God's word, okay? It puts us in a place of being really needy. But that's exactly the place Paul puts himself. He didn't say he figured this out. He said, this was revealed to me, and you've seen how I've written about it here. Uh, When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Now, this mystery of Christ, hear this. He says, "It uh, it was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So what he's saying is that what's happening right then is breaking news. That's breaking news spiritually in the cosmos. Like, like think about this, uh, whatever happened with dinosaurs, okay? And so the Bible doesn't really talk about dinosaurs. We can have a fun conversation about dinosaurs, but whatever was going on with them, okay? So before that, before the earth was formed, before God spoke and there were any stars, before there was anything that was ever happening, there was this mystery. And it was unknown until now. Until this, until this point, Paul, Paul's so astounded by this opportunity to explain this mystery because nobody knew. I was reading a commentary about that, and he says, uh, human beings, we might, we, might make, we might create something that's secret, or we might hide something, right? So, like, um, we're, you might hide things from your kids, um, like your phone or money or treats, uh, kids. I don't know where your parents are hiding from you, all right? Uh, but they're hiding something, all right? And the deal is, is your parents can find them. You could probably find them if you tried really hard. We cannot find what God hides. We cannot discover that on our own. That was never something we were just going to stumble upon. Okay? And so this mystery, here's what it is. You want to know what the mystery that was revealed to Paul that nobody else knew until now? The Gentiles, which is all the ethnic groups, their fellow heirs, they're members of the same body, And they are partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. God's church is going to include everybody. God's church is going to be a picture of all of the nations, all of the tongues, all of the tribes, all gathered under one banner, and the banner is Jesus. That's the mystery. You're saying, I can't believe it. I didn't even see it coming. Nobody saw this coming. So the mystery has been revealed. And then he goes on, and, and, and there's like, I mean, about a year's worth of stuff we could talk about in there, but, but really that's all, that's all the stuff we've covered. Fellow heirs, and so we are heirs with who? With Christ Jesus. It's, it's heirs of what? The universe. He's going to inherit the whole thing. And we are fellow heirs with him. You, you, you're an heir because you've been adopted as a son. So gals, uh, ladies, it's like, man, too bad he didn't use gender-inclusive language. No, that's not the point. The point is that you get to inherit just like ancient time sons. Daughters weren't inheriting at this point. Sons were. Everybody is a fellow heir. Everybody is a member of the same body. And then everybody has the promises. They're partakers of the promises of Christ Jesus. So what 2 Corinthians says is that for, it says, 2 Corinthians one twenty says, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. Have you ever read this verse? 2 Corinthians 1.20. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. In who? In Jesus. 
all of God's promises for you. You want to know the answer to what God promised? Is it, is it still true? Is it not true? The answer is yes. It's true because of Jesus. That's why we say, uh, he says, that is why through him we utter our amen to God for his glory. Okay, and so here's, here's the secret that, is, that Paul knows. It's the secret of our salvation. We just said he knows the secret of contentment. He knows the secret of our salvation. And here's the secret. God will keep all of his promises to you in Christ Jesus. He's going to keep all of his promises to you in Christ Jesus. And he, he talks about how all those, this mystery, how does it happen? Look at the text. It says, um, this mystery, the Gentiles, their fellow heirs, they're members of the same body, um, they're partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus. How? Look, look at it. Through the gospel. Okay, so it's through the gospel that this is going to happen. The good news of Jesus' life, death, and his resurrection for you, the news that's been done already, that's been accomplished. And he says, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. How did he get to be a minister? Is it like, man, I tried super hard, or like I just studied a lot, or whatever? It says it's because of God's grace, I got to be somebody, a servant, a minister, somebody who's delivering. And uh, it was given to me, how? By the working of his power. And then look at this. This is actually what, if you want to know what caught my heart this whole week, it's this verse right here. It says, to me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Stop right there. He says, says, to me, though I'm the very least of all, so here's where I want you to see the secret of um, uh, the secret of salvation. The secret of salvation it comes into play like you you're gonna this is gonna be tested in your life when you fail, when you fail uh, morally, when you fail emotionally, when you fail physic- when you fail to obey God, when you fail to do the right thing, when you fail to say the right thing, when you fail to behave in the right way, when you fail God, this, this secret will be put to test. And here's what Paul is saying. Look at how he talks about himself. He says, I am the very least of all the saints. Do you think he's just like putting on a show here? Here's what, here's what Paul knows. He was saved by grace. He was not saved because he succeeded. He was saved out of the midst of his failure. And so it is not in his success that God loves and improves of him. Do you, do you believe that? Like this week, whenever you blow it, because you're going to blow it. If you're anything like me, this last week, I, I blew it. I, I, di- I interacted with my daughter in a way that I thought was not loving. And you know what happened to me in the midst of that moment? I was crushed. I fell really far. Paul, I don't think, is crushed in the midst of his failure because he knows where he came from. Do you get that? When you fail, when you fail God, when you disbelieve in him, when you have to turn and ask for grace, are you doing that from a place of remembering that you are the very least of all the saints? Can you say with Paul, I'm the least of all the saints? Of course I needed grace. Are you surprised that you need grace? Are you surprised when you fail and when you blow it? The secret of 
enduring through failure is the gospel truth that you were saved by grace. Okay? And then the last thing, here we go, we're going to move to this last space. Um, so we've said all of your circumstances are subject to, they're subject to Jesus' authority. So um, whatever's going on in your life, wherever God has you, that's underneath Jesus' authority for you. God will keep all of his promises to you. He's promised to, he's promised to rescue you because of Jesus' finished work on the cross. Uh, Ephesians 2 says it, uh, he says, um, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So the secret of salvation is that it's Jesus' blood. He's going to keep all of his promises to you because they're all signed in Jesus' blood. Does that sound kind of intense? Have you ever signed anything in blood? No, and that would be weird if you did, okay? If you're like, yeah, that one time I joined this group and they made me do that. I was like, that was a cult, friend. Uh, you know, uh, don't, don't do that. Um, yeah, it is weird. Don't do it forward, okay? Um, like buying a car, can you sign this in blood? No, nobody signs anything in blood. Um, what does it mean that, uh, that, that that was done through the blood of Jesus? That means Jesus of Nazareth was a man who lived he was, he was born as a baby. Uh, he grew up. He never, ever distrusted God. He never disbelieved God. He loved God perfectly. He obeyed God perfectly. He deserved none of God's wrath. And yet, as a man, he went to the cross for you. So he, he got condemned. He got, people told lies about him. They spit in his face. They jabbed a crown of thorns onto his head. And then they, they made him march up a hill carrying a a block of wood on his back. They tortured him, and then they nailed him to that tree up on a hill. And then he, he, he didn't die until they, well, he died on that cross, and then he uh, got a spear jabbed into his side to make sure of it. And when he did, blood and water spilled out because it, that proved, medically speaking, that he was dead. They took him down off of the cross. And all the blood that was spilled there on the ground, all of that, that should have been yours and it should have been mine. That's what the gospel is saying, that Jesus' blood got spilled where your blood should have been spilled. It's a violent thing that happened to him. It was violent, and it was aggressive, and it was horrific. And Jesus went, and he did it, and he did it for you to reconcile you back to God. Because everything that happened right there, that moment, God's wrath was pouring down onto Jesus. All of the wrath, all of the rejection, rebellion, every secret thing you've thought that was in rejection, rebellion to God, everything you've done or everything you've said, all of that, God's wrath poured out in a single focused laser onto King Jesus in a moment. And all of his blood spilled out there for you. And then he went and they put him in a tomb. And three days later, it couldn't hold him anymore. He came out. When he came out, it proved for certain that you who were once far off have been brought near. How? By the blood of Christ. And so, yes, in the midst of your failure, you should remember the secret of salvation, which is the gospel. You want to know the secret of contentment? It's the gospel. And now, the secret of suffering? It's the gospel. None of your suffering will be wasted. That's what you need to hear today. So here, let's see what I mean. Um, so of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, uh, this grace was given to preach 
to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And then he says this, and to bring to light for everyone what was the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things, uh, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Okay, so, so like don't, don't like let all the words wash over you and just like miss them all, okay? He, he's saying something here. He's saying, I, I preach, this grace was given me to preach to this unsearchable riches of Christ. What I just told you about, that's the unsearchable riches of Christ, that Jesus has poured out love and affection and grace upon grace to you. You cannot out uh, forget, you cannot do something that, that God's not going to reconcile or pay for you can't uh, you can't do something that's going to forever separate you from God because of the finished work of Jesus those are unsearchable riches those are riches that you won't get to the back of you'll never discover the end of God's kindness towards you in Jesus and then he says it's not just preaching to the Gentiles he's bringing to light for everyone what was the plan of the mystery hidden for ages what was the plan he talked about in Ephesians 1 to unite all things in Christ This is the plan. God said, hey, from eternity past, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm going to unite everything in Christ. Uh, And so here's what it looks like. He says, uh, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to who? Uh, To the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Okay, and so all of the context for this reconciliation, all the context for our worship is in the context of the church. What's so amazing is that God is not just uh, saving you and you and you and you and you. He's saving us. He's building us together, okay? And so then here's the deal. He's saying that, that the church, through the church, the way that we're all being built together, that's preaching a message that's telling all the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places uh, something about God's multifaceted wisdom. It's another way of saying like multicolored wisdom, the brilliance of God, God's amazing brilliance. That somebody like, how in the world would you put this puzzle together? How could you even get all of these different ethnicities and cultures and us's and them's all into the same place and make us all belong in one thing together? How would you do it? Oh, you're gonna do it through Jesus. Oh, through Jesus, you're going to actually make this one thing that's one body, that's one group of people. The, the, the vast human diversity that exists is all going to be brought together underneath the banner of Jesus. And that is, is this thing that angels are looking at and they're saying, wow, I never saw it coming. Demons are saying, man, this is, I can't believe he did it. There's realms of things that you don't see. There's heavenly places. He's not talking about heaven. He's talking about heavenly places in us as just a bunch of normal nobodies, the least of all the saints. Together here, the way that we're reconciled in Christ and then with one another, what Chris talked about last week, that tells the universe something that it can hardly believe. Wow. What multifaceted, brilliant wisdom of God could do that. So as we live together as a community of people, we're telling a story to the universe. Don't put up with divisions in between us. Don't put up with a lack of forgiveness with one another. Don't put up with a lack of loving one another. Don't, let's, let's not do that, church. You're getting, if you're new to this whole thing, you're getting it at the right time. This is the right time to be a part of this. This church, man, we, we want to see, see it move into the next five years with this revival of joyful worship.
doing something crazy, not just through us individually where you get to have your cool Instagram religion moment, you know, or like your thing over here that's like your story. That is, it's, it's our thing that God's doing. He's doing it in us because it's his thing that he's doing, okay? And so the reason why I'm telling you all of that is that uh, we run into these moments, and Paul's going to talk about his in just a moment, where things are, seem like they're not going right. There are moments, we'll call those suffering moments, moments where it feels like this is not how it should be. I shouldn't be sick with this. I shouldn't be getting accused of that. I shouldn't be hurting in this way. And man, those moments are real. Uh, Those moments are painful. But those moments are not disconnected from God's eternal purposes. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So the gospel, it gives us this uh, secret of suffering, which is that none of your suffering will be wasted. And here's the deal. When you live this invincible life that Paul is living, here, here's the deal for him. His whole life is defined by what Jesus has already done. So whatever suffering he is, do, he is engaged in, which in this moment he says, hey, don't lose heart uh, over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. So when you're suffering as somebody who is following Jesus, that's not disconnected from God's purposes in and through your life. Those, that's, those are purposes that God is going to use in and through your life, either to refine your faith in Jesus or to tell a story, not just to the world around you, but to angels and demons and everything in all of the universe that would wonder about what God is doing in Christ. None of your suffering is wasted. God's not indifferent to any of your suffering. I think one of the worst things or one of the hardest things um, would be that you would be suffering and it would be totally unknown. You'd be suffering or hurting and nobody cares. But that's not the way that it is in the gospel. God cares. Your church cares. So would you do two things in the midst of your suffering? Would you, would you tell us as your church? Would you tell us where you're suffering? Because remember how he's binding us together through the gospel? That's actually the proclamation of God's glory. So would you tell us in the midst of your suffering? And then would you tell God in the midst of your suffering? Tell him that you feel like he doesn't care or doesn't know. And I, I, th- I think you can be sure of this, that he does know. And he does care. And he knows what that's like. And he will not waste your suffering. You are now not just a receiver of God's grace, but you are a deliverer of God's grace. And he will use whatever circumstances in your life to deliver uh, the message of the gospel to the watching world. And he will forever, once and for all, secure you uh, in a perfect place with him. Okay, and so the last thing, just to close this out, because, uh, again, we're on the clock here. Um, there was once upon a time uh, this uh, unknown uh, scientific reality called, uh, it, it was at this point unknown, it's called reverse transcriptase. Has anybody heard of this? Reverse transcriptase. There's some like medical people in here, some scientists in here. Okay, so this is um, this is like a little protein or enzyme or something uh, that's hidden inside of certain viruses, and um, it's really dangerous 
because it allows the virus to like mutate and do some really wicked stuff. And what's funny about uh, reverse, not a lot is funny about reverse transcriptase, but what is funny about it is that, uh, is that there was this like rule or this law uh, in this realm of science that was called like the core doctrine. And uh, do you know what I'm talking about? There's this, it was like this, if there's one thing you knew in this realm of science, it was like that viruses can't do that. That DNA doesn't work that way. And there was this one scientist, uh, or there's two scientists, and they discovered at the same time, but for, for a decade, they just sat in a lab, and they were just like, maybe it can do this. Maybe it's here. And they were just on this scavenger hunt, basically, to find what allowed for viruses to do this. And um, at the same time, in the same season, they both... Just in this back, I don't know how bi- I don't know how molecular biology works, but for them, it was like in the back corner. They were like, "Oh, the last place I would have looked. What's this thing? It's reverse transcriptase." And around the same time, the AIDS epidemic was like reaching its peak, and uh, and so these two things came together, where this AIDS epidemic was just crushing people. It was demolishing lives, and. Uh, this awareness of how it actually works uh, cre- created an opportunity to be able to treat this thing that was just wrecking lives. And, um, and I think that's sort of like what happens with Paul. I think he comes across this thing and he realizes, oh, this is how it works. This is the mystery. And all these lives that are getting wrecked, the gospel can treat them. This, this ethnicity, this group of people? No, no, I'm going to take the gospel to this group of people. Hey, this part of Fort Worth over here that nobody thinks uh, can be reconciled to God? Hey, I'm going to give you guys this, the gospel. It will help treat that very thing that's killing you. Hey, this part of the world where there is no access to the gospel, hey, I'm going to implant the gospel into this place. And you know what? It's going to spread and it's going to change lives. And not just in this lifetime, but forever. It's going to reconcile lives back to God that were crushed by sin and in the midst of destruction. That's what the gospel was doing. And I think that God is still bringing people into his household. That's what I think he's doing. And I think where he was using Paul, I think he wants to use you. You might think it's crazy and uh, totally unfeasible for God to bring into his household somebody from your family or from your neighborhood or from your workplace. He might, you might think it's totally unfeasible for God to rescue that person, but God is bringing people into his household. And so I, I would just ask you with Paul to join with Paul in believing in the secret power of the gospel to rescue lives. And then believe it for yourself. And here's just, I'm just gonna ask you, close your eyes, we're gonna pray and be done, okay? I'm just going to ask you, where do you feel discontent? Close your eyes and think about it. Where do you feel discontent? Where is discontentment uh, messing with your worship? Where is your trusting and treasuring of God getting so disrupted because of discontentment in your life? Over uh, a relationship, over a circumstance, over your finances, over a job, over your home, over your kids, over your, the way that you treat your kids? Where is, where is discontentment coming into your world? All of your circumstances are subject to Jesus' authority. Believe the gospel in the midst of those circumstances. Where is failure? Where have you failed and where is your failure totally um, disrupting your sense of salvation? Where is your failure 
crushing you. Would you hear me today that God will keep all of his promises to you in Jesus? And then this is a hard one. Where is suffering? Where is that severing your fellowship with God? Is there something in your life, some place of suffering that's severing your fellowship with God? Would you believe this today, that he will not waste one ounce of suffering in your life? Friends, he says that in Jesus we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith. Access to who? To God the Father. Don't hide from him this week. Don't, don't live in seclusion from him this week. Don't section off your life and try to uh, just break it down and give him one portion of it. Don't, don't do that with him this week. You have boldness and you have access to him this week. Would you run to him? Would you engage with him? And then would you ask him this? Who is he sending you to as a minister of the gospel? Who is he sending you to? It's never going to be convenient to share the gospel with them. Well, it might be convenient. It'll never be uh, not scary. But you have boldness and you have access to him. Okay, I'm going to pray for you. Heavenly Father, uh, this group of people, we're not worthy of you. We're the least of all the saints. We're just nobodies. And yet Jesus, who is the king of all the universe, died for us. Thank you for sending your son for us. And then thank you for raising up uh, these, uh, these leaders in your church, God. These people who would give away their lives to see the Gentiles hear the gospel, to, hear, to, to allow me to hear the gospel, that I'm invited in. God, would you raise up men and women from this room to share the gospel this week, to continue this movement that you have been executing from uh, time past, God, of bringing people into the household of God, bringing people into the family of God. Would you use this small band of people in Fort Worth, Texas to invite the nations into your family through Jesus? It's in his name we pray. Amen.